You know, if you ever feel like you're kind of in a significant moment, in a significant time, this feels like that to me. Um, so pray with me again. Would you, Lord, just thank you for this morning, for the passion that's been brought already. Uh, we just continue to invite you into this space. Help us to have the eyes and ears to hear you well this morning and continue to worship you. Amen. I wish I had time to share with you uh, all the thin place stories that people have been sharing with me over the last couple of years since the first time I talked about this idea of, of a heaven and earth colliding and God for a moment kind of showing up in the moments we really need. Uh, I've heard story after story. It's been fantastic. Last week, I was in the youth building, and a super doll caught me and said, hey, I have a thin place story I have to share with you. A uh, family member of mine that was going through a really hard season, a really hard stretch, and she just needed to really, you know, connect with God. And, and so her and her husband went up uh, to do one of their favorite things, rock hunt, in the shores of Lake Superior, northern Minnesota, and said the conditions were perfect that day, apparently wade around in the water and look for these cherished rocks. And, and said toward the end of the day, it was fine, but toward the end of the day, something caught her eye in the water, and she reached down shoulder deep into the water and grabbed this rock and pulled it out. And uh, I'm going to show you a picture of that rock she sent Sue. I mean, several feet down in Lake Superior, but that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, she and her husband started to tell this story, just kind of how God showed up randomly in a moment, you know, with this uh, rock to encourage her at the right time. And they started telling that story. And a week or two later, I believe her husband was telling that story of the rock in her workplace, in his workplace. And a woman in the back said, that's my rock. <laughs> you know, four years ago, I rode on that rock and kind of a crazy thing. I just thought, I hope it blesses somebody. And so I threw it in the water and uh, now it's blessed me in terms of how God used that. You want something to stick? Want something to last? Mark it on a stone. <laughs> Mark it on a rock. Four years in the water, that rock was. Right. Last year, uh, I went back to my hometown for a high school reunion. I won't tell you how many years that was. Like, I think 20. Let's say 20. Maybe more. But uh, I don't get back there a lot, uh, but uh, with my parents being gone, but I kind of went back on a little bit of a sentimental journey, and, and there's some things I like to do when I get back home. Grew up in a farm in central, in Kennesaw, Nebraska, and, and uh, so I like to get around our farm set and walk around and hang in the barn a little bit and just kind of have some moments through that, and occasionally when I go back, I will go back to the cemetery uh, where my parents lie and, and to see the markings on their stones because they're always an encouragement to me. Uh, my mom's stone is there was a song in her heart. Uh, she was a creative, out-of-the-box thinker, loved the arts, loved music, uh, great angelic singer, uh, loved movies, and uh, it was really her that went on an experience to get my dad and their friendship group out of just religion and into a personal relationship with God that was relevant and real. And uh, that's where I kind of got my cre some of the creativity and some of the way I think is from her. And then on my dad's stone is, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I can tell you, anybody that knew the man, that's what they would have said about him. Wasn't perfect, for sure, like any of us, but, but he took his swings, did the best he could in the years he had. And I think everybody would say that knew him, well done. And that's kind of an inspiration to me and something I hope for and look for and hope would be said about me. 
you know, someday. So then I went into town and went around the school. I went to a K through 12 school. And so we were meeting the class reunion is this really cool spot, the bus barn in front of the, behind the school. So, you know, it was great. But I went, went back and kind of thought about some stories, but I noticed something on the school I hadn't noticed for a long time. And I just hadn't thought about it. Uh, here's a picture of the school. Can't see it really well here, but zero in above the doors, and there's a white roof line. And uh, if you can make this out, it says Senior 70 on that. Now, that wasn't my class, but as a little guy, I went to that school, and I saw this marking on the school every day in the volatile times of the late 60s and 70s. Some crazies <laughs> went up there, and then when they graduated, marked on, vandalized the school and put Senior 70 on it. And try though they may, that those school officials and townspeople, to get that darn thing off the, or the rocks in that school, 50 years later, Senior 70 still marks that school forever. <laughs> because they just can't get it off. The rocks held the marking instead. Of it. So there was this another rock story for me. I think I shared it with you a couple years ago on this stage, uh, this rock above Steamboat, Springs, Colorado. One of our kids at the time was going through a really hard time, deep loss, disappointment, pain, journey, a uh, couple surgeries, multiple doctor's visits, a loss of a lot of dreams of his. And, and so I was in a pretty tough place. I was angry and disappointed and frustrated and all that. So I separated for a couple days and and went up to Steamboat, rode my mountain bike as hard as I could, up as high as I could, till I collapsed on this boulder in this meadow. And uh, there was this moment on that rock where a couple things came to mind. God says, you're not leaving this rock until you let this go, until you let this anger go. You have to let this go. It's going to eat you up. <laughs> and, and then there was a sense as well that said, do you trust me? Do you trust me even when circumstances are aligned? and you don't agree with them, and they're not fair, and they're struggle, and, and it's not right. But are you still going to trust me in the midst of those moments, even when circumstances don't make sense? Don't leave this rock to get dealt with that. I mean, I could still point that, point to that and take you to that rock, because it was such a marker for me in such a, a moment several years ago that I think back to often. That's the value of separating, kind of getting into the wilderness, so to speak, getting off, you know, our regular day-to-day, unplugging from some of the noise. I don't think that rock moment would have happened on a boulder out here by Highway 2, I don't think, uh, because of the distractions, the things going on, the exterior noise around. You know, maybe. God can do anything, but I don't think so. It was separating, being able to turn off the noise. That's the value of wilderness. That's the value of solitude, of being able to separate so we can really listen maybe differently. Uh, when I was last on this stage with you in August, uh, we unpacked the idea of wilderness. And uh, in, in that, the Hebrew word for wilderness is midbar. And the root word of midbar is devar, and devar in Hebrew means to speak, to literally speak. That's the nature of the wilderness, that those are times when God kind of breaks through. And that can be anywhere, right? That can be in our backyard, but times when we can disconnect, turn off exterior noise, put the phone away, quiet down. And really listen. And sometimes God just breaks through in those moments in significant ways, as many of you have shared with me over the last couple of years. We talked, too, at that time about Moses and that first thin place encounter he had in the desert, in that desert wilderness. He'd been shepherding sheep for 40 years, right? And uh, every day was the same, but this day was a little different. He went down a different path. The burning bush caught his attention. 
And he turned and looked, and in one of the most dramatic verses to me in all the Bible, Exodus 3-4, it says, when God saw Moses turn, he spoke. He spoke. When Moses turned, when he gave attention, when he quieted down and showed a readiness to hear, God spoke and gave him the mission of his life. And the mission was to go back to Egypt and take those people that had been in bondage of slavery for generations and take them to freedom. And through a, through a midst of several circumstances, Moses, Moses did just that. Uh, he went back to Egypt and faced down Pharaoh and was God's voice and God's instrument to take those people to freedom. And so he led an exodus of hundreds of thousands of Hebrews who had been under the bondage of slavery into the desert wilderness to freedom, and he brought them right up to the face of the promised land. This is the land God had promised the Hebrew people for hundreds of years. And he brought this nation out of Egypt and right up to the edge of the promised land said, it's time for you to take it. And so Moses appoints 12 leaders, 12 great leaders. There was 12 tribes in Israel at the time, Hebrews, and he picked the best leader of all of them, all of the tribes, and the 12 guys went over there to spy on the land, see what they were dealing with. And they came back and said, this is an amazing place, a land filled with milk and honey, a beautiful, incredible place, but there's armies there, huge armies. They're fortified. Their cities are built on rock. We don't have a chance. There's giants in the land. We've never seen anything like it. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. And so the people started to buckle in fear and doubt. Only two said, we can take it. We can do it because God will be with us every step of the way. We can do this. But the rest turned the whole nation, and the nation of Israel turned in doubt and fear. And as a result, God banned them into the wilderness to wander for 40 more years. And so they wandered in 40 years till that whole generation of people that doubted was gone. And now as they come back to the promised land for another opportunity to cross over, only Moses, Joshua, Caleb remain from that. The rest of that older generation is gone. So we've got a young tens of thousands of Hebrew people that are 40 and under ready to, ready to cross over. And Moses, in a very public way, passes the baton of leadership to Joshua because he knows his time is gone. And he gives the baton to Joshua. And now Joshua is commissioned and ready to take the Hebrew people across the river. But he's just a man, right? I mean, he's just a man. And so you got to think in his heart and life, he had to wonder, as well as the people, will we doubt and step back in fear? Or will we lean into whatever God has for us there? Will we lean into whatever enemies reside in that promised land and take God on his promise that he's going to be with us every step of the way, no matter what's out there, no matter what we face? So here is Joshua sitting on the cusp of history. I mean, think of this moment. I mean, he is sitting on the cusp of history, desperately needing to hear from God. And we know that, that he needs to hear from God. He needs words because we know as we look at these words and what God gave Joshua in this moment. He's desperately needing to hear from God. So what does he do? He does what's been modeled for him for 40 years by Moses. He withdraws. He gets into the quiet. He gets into solitude, maybe in his tent. I don't know, maybe along the shores of the Jordan, uh, maybe in some hills back away. We don't know. But what we do know in the very first verses of Joshua, what, the book of Joshua, what we see is Joshua in a posture of listening 
and God speaking and God giving him exactly the words he needs in this moment. So let's turn to Joshua 1. In the very first book, verses of this book, it's amazing because you've got to have the context of this moment they're in for this to really come to life. Right? So Joshua 1, 1 through 9, let's read that. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun. Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, Joshua, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I have spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun will be their territory. No man will be able to stand up to you. No, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I'll be with you, Joshua. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong, be courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong, he says it again. So you got the sense Joshua really needs us, right? Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or the left, so that you may have the success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do accordingly to all that is written in it. For then I will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God, he's with you wherever you go. Man, and there you get a sense in a window into Joshua where he's at. Don't tremble. Don't be afraid. I mean, you can imagine what he's feeling, thinking, Joshua. Don't tremble. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. Whatever you face over there, I'll be with you every step of the way. Whatever giants you see. Whatever obstacles you're coming against, whatever is in front of you, I'll be with you every, every step of the way. A couple things come out in this story. Well, one, God's a God of second chances, third chances. I don't know about you, but oh boy, am I thankful for that in my life, that he's a God that gives multiple chances. And now again, he brings this next generation of Hebrews back to the promised land and gives them their shot to lean into and step into whatever God has for them in that moment. And he's also, what's so true about this is God's word holds. I mean, it's held for hundreds of years. This promise came, and this promise of this promised land that he was going to give the Hebrew people was passed down from generation to generation. The hope of this is what got him through hell and got him through slavery. You know, the hope that God was going to come through, deliver him, bring him to that moment. I mean, wow, what a moment, right? And, and those promises hold like a rock, I mean, Psalm 62 comes to mind for me. It says, uh, one of my favorite psalms and passages, like a firm foundation built on a rock, a stronghold, our faith in God, so it will not be shaken. I'll wait for you as long as you say, God. You only are my rock and my salvation under my feet. You are breathing room for my soul. On God, my salvation and glory rest. He is the rock of my strength, my stronghold, my refuge. In him I shall not be shaken. 
So you know these words now God gives to Joshua because he needs these words as he's going to lead these people across to face the enemies he's going to face. He's saying there is no giants in that land too big, no cities too massive, no armies that are going to take you out, no disappointment, struggle, or pain that can take you down. Nothing's too dark. I'm going to be with you. No success too blinding, no time in the wilderness too long. Don't back down, Joshua. Stand your ground. These people are going to need you. Don't forget this moment. Life's going to throw you around. Life's going to mess you up. There's going to be a lot of things you face, but stand your ground. Don't back down. There's giants over there. They're going to want to back you into a corner. They're going to take you out. They're going to back you right up to the gates of hell. But stand your ground. Don't back down. I asked Brian to sing a song in the middle of of my time with you here. Uh, It's been a song for him and I that's meant a ton. Uh, A rally cry and a a battle cry, not only in our own lives, I think, as we've seen uh, Tom Petty perform this in the past. This isn't a song you're expecting to hear Sunday morning. But, man, these words are good. These words are good. And so my hope is this song will mark this moment. And when you hear it in the grocery store or in a car or or wherever, you hear this, it'll take you back to Joshua 1. That'll be a trigger. Say, don't back down. Stand your ground. You only got one shot at this, one life. Uh, This has become a rally cry. You've heard me talk about Harbor Ministry and these leadership events we do around the country. Uh, Rhythm and 20 and Rogue. We start our 25th group this spring. And uh, they are all these events meeting. People come from all over, meet in California, Colorado for these events. But the last 15 groups or so, this has become the battle cry. This has become the song where you hear these guys bellow this out and say, help us to be strong. We want to finish well. Uh, my most memorable time of Brian singing this song was the first time he brought it to the very first road group we ever did. That group is a group of pastors from Colorado, Florida, and Nebraska. And in that group was uh, Brian Clark and Tom Rempel and, and Mark Brunat and Bill Thornton and Stu Kearns, amongst others. And I will never forget that last night we were with those guys, seeing them bellow this song out. Remember Mark Brunat in the back of the room, just, man, help me. I want to do this well. And just singing out, stand your ground. I'm not going to back down. So. Will I know what's right? I 
So Moses, so Joshua emerges from this moment, this time with God, having given, been given the words he exactly needs for this moment, ready. He's not going to forget. I mean, he's not going to forget. And so in the days that follow, he leads the Hebrew people across in the massive cross and across the Jordan River to claim this moment. And uh, incredible time. And so we pick up the story again now with Joshua in a massive river crossing. And uh, taking the people across, most of the people have crossed the river by now. The priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the stone tablets with the markings of God on them, bringing up the rear, and they're carrying this heavy Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the river. And as that crossing happens, God stops Joshua in his tracks because he doesn't want just Joshua to not forget this moment. This time, the people aren't going to forget this moment either. And so he's going to mark it in a very dramatic way. And he stops Joshua and says, stop the priests in the middle of the river and tell them to hold their ground. Plant their feet firmly. I've got something to mark this moment. So join with me and, and let's jump into the next part of the story in Joshua 4. All right, Joshua 4. First verse, and we'll kind of skip through this quick. So I'll skip a few verses, but uh, follow along with me here. Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take up for yourself twelve men from the people, one from each tribe. Sounds familiar, huh? And command them, saying, Take up yourselves twelve stones from here in the middle of the Jordan River, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you and lay them down in a lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called called the twelve and said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of sons of Israel. Let this be a sign to you, so that when your children ask you later, saying, What do these stones mean? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. And when the people had finished crossing, in verse 11, the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Messiah crossed over in battle array in front of the sons of Israel. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho, 
Joshua commanded the priests to come up from the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet lifted up to dry ground, and then the water of the Jordan returned to their place and went over the banks. The twelve stones which they had taken, in verse 20, from Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgad. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What are these stones? And you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, just like it did in the Red Sea. That way all the people, in verse 24 of the earth, may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In another translation, message of that last verse 23 says, This happens so that everyone on earth should recognize how strong God's rescuing hand is, so that you would hold ground hold and hold God in solemn reverence forever. So let's reset this scene. Can't blow through this too quick. It's too great. I mean, this is a great story. It's amazing. Uh, to reset this, this is a moment, right, in history. This is a moment that's been told these people for generation, past a generation, past a generation. And so they're taking the people across the river, and then, jo- and then God stops Joshua, and all the people you get a sense are lined up back through the banks watching what in the world's going on now. And then he picks 12 people, one from each tribe again, to say, go take a stone in the middle of the river where the priests are standing firm. They're holding their ground. They're not backing down and carrying his ark. Go there and pick up 12 stones. And so in front of all the people, these 12 go. And part of this has got to be because of the unity, right? Don't do this alone. Israel, we have to stick together. So one from each tribe is going across. Do this together. You get alone, you and I, in this journey, we isolate, we're, we're dead. I mean, we're not going to make it. God's designed us to get energy, strength, passion from others as well. So don't go alone, and that's clearly the symbolism of here. Again, 12, they go pick up the rocks, and they put them on their shoulder, and they carry them off in front of all the people, and then the army comes, 40,000 dressed in battle array, ready. And they march across the river in front of everybody, and then in this beautiful moment says they pass into the valley of Jericho. Why is that significant? We know Jericho is the most fortified city in this enemy encampment. This battle and these warriors cross in front of the people and head into the plains of Jericho. Not ready to back down. This time we're not cowering in fear. This time we're not backing down. We don't know what awaits, but translation, it's game on. And, and this time, this generation is not going to back down. And then the priests come out carrying the ark in front of all the people, and they step up on dry ground. The river returns to where it was, and they plant those stones in a way that they know their children's children's children won't forget what God did in this moment as they put those stones in their place. I mean, now that's a cool moment. So what does this story have for you and I today? Many things. But, but what, what could it mean? I was, I was pretty excited when I got this opportunity to be with you because it's such a strategic time in the year and in this decade. There's uh, six more weeks to 2019 six more weeks to this decade. And this decade around here at Brian's been significant. Five big initiatives were launched, and I got to be involved in, in a couple of those rather intimately over this decade. But we have six weeks left to mark this moment, to mark this year and to mark this decade before we head to 2020, which sounds significant. It feels significant, doesn't it? 
mean, 2020, I don't know if it's just the ring of the year or what, but, but it's significant in the world and, and in the plight of Christians around the world and in our journeys, what holds and what, what things wait for us in 2020. But we have six more weeks to mark this moment. So what could that look like for, for us? Uh, let me share with you a couple things I'm doing, and then I want to invite you into that. Uh, one is I am determined to the best I can not do this alone. Um, Marsh and I have had some couples over the years that we've been pretty close to and done a lot of stuff with, and uh, particularly over the last couple years, there's been some hard things that we've gone through and others. Uh, I don't know how we could have navigated that just isolated. And so we're determined to keep people around us, and I'm thinking through that as well. And one of those, they're going hard stuff right now, really hard stuff. And so we're going to do our best to be in their corner, and they're in ours, and we've got to have that. And in the midst of work and the, the work I'm doing with these leaders from around the country and stuff, I need a core group of people I can depend on and know, in my corner, I'm in your corner, let's go. And Brian Olson's been one of those key guys that we've just been able to gain strength and encouragement from each other to say there's a lot coming and a lot happening, and so let's go. But I'm determined not to do that alone, and you, got, you can't either, because the enemy wants to pick us off by isolating us. Second thing I'm doing is for the next six weeks, I'm doing an hour of solitude a week, entering the wilderness. It's not going to steamboat every week. It's going to be around here somewhere. But I am isolating for an hour a week and committing to that, and, and uh, in solitude and quiet and in a listening posture with God. I'm inviting you to do the same thing. I talked about this and gave you this challenge back in August, and I want to revisit it. I believe this is a difference-making practice. Different in addition to the other rhythms you may do in prayer and, and scripture reading and that, but to take an hour a week for the next six weeks and say, God, how do you want to mark this decade, this moment? How can we do this well? Um, and, and commit to that. Believe me. I mean, I know there's going to be more stories I'm going to get to hear from you as you practice this idea. Uh, of an hour of solitude and quiet a week. I'm going to start each of these next six weeks reading Joshua 1 myself and uh, reading it through and then just asking God, is there anything you have for me in that? Is there any way? We and I, you and I, we have an opportunity to mark this decade just like God did and Joshua did. Maybe not with stones crossing a river, but we got a chance to mark this with our families, with our kids, with our grandkids, with those we influence at work. Is there some things that could come to mind? To mark that moment, maybe that comes in that hour of solitude a week. So join me in that, and let's, let's finish this year strong with that. Then I have some markers, some actual things that help me remember and mark things. Um, I have a bunch of rocks in my office, and I got all those rocks from some cliffs I have gone to. There's a cliff, uh, another part of the world that's become to symbolize many of the face steps we've taken in the Rhythm and 20 road journeys. It's become a symbolic place, but also a literal place as we've taken people to this cliff. So I've gathered rocks from there and I got some rocks in my office, but there's two rocks in particular uh, that I have. One is a remember rock. So we've had an incredible year in that front. I've told you uh, um, of the we finished the 20th group of either Rhythm and 20 or Rogue. We start 25 next spring. Uh, 500 guys have come in from different states, 43 different states into this. It's been amazing. But next year we start four new groups, plus all the other groups. It's going to be a busy full year. It's a little overwhelming. And the way I'm going to have strength is to remember what God did. 
I mean, remember, and so that's one thing I would ask you to do is think about how you can mark the moment of 2019 by remembering the way God showed up. And for me, I wrote on this rock that I have, this particular rock, Tour. And a Tour was uh, this year, uh, Brian Olson and I and some others went to 11 cities around the country where we've had a lot of guys come through to take the sight, sounds, and, and feel of, of Harbor to them to remind them, to encourage them to help them keep chasing God or whatever we can do. And uh, what we heard was story after story after story of marriages impacted, families impacted, churches changed, restorative stories of a pastor who, who uh, had to leave his church several years ago because of a porn addiction, and a uh, marriage that went, went, was gone as a result. But as they came back in, what I saw was him and his wife, six years later, coming in, with a restored marriage, and the church asked him back as a, as a pastor. And that's the way, you know, that's the deal right there. That's what God's about, restoring stories. And so we heard those kind of stories. I like, mark the tour, because that's what's going to give me energy for all the stuff that's coming, what we need to do next year in, in, in everything. So mark a moment. Then the other rock I have is helps me look forward. And uh, every year, a week before or so, the end of the year, I ask God for a word, a phrase, or a verse that I could kind of theme the year coming. That's just something I do. But I would ask you to think about doing that. Is there a word, a phrase, or a verse that could be an anchor for you as you head into 2020? Something that maybe God's put on your heart. That would be a great way to use that hour a week. Say, is there something that comes to mind, a word, a phrase, or a verse that could theme your walk as you go into 2020. For me, on my rock, it says, keep chasing cliffs, keep inviting others to do the same. Cliff chasing, like I said, has been a metaphor for this wild, mysterious God we have that wants us to keep all out pursuit of him. No matter life's circumstances, no matter how hard it gets, don't forget that God walks us every step of the way. And, and so that's for me, cliff chasing, and I can kind of mark everything through 2020 around that grid. So what would it be for you? Don't do this alone. Consider committing an hour a week of solitude and get a couple markers for you. One to help you remember what God's already done and showed up, and one to maybe help remind you of a theme word, a phrase, or a verse. As I close my time with you this morning, I wanted to circle back to Joshua 1. It's too good. The words are too strong for us, and, and I, think, uh, I think I'm supposed to read this again. I know for sure there's people in this room that need these words, that need to hear this again, uh, these words that God's speaking to you this morning as we revisit this, that are facing some really dark and hard stuff. There's no doubt in my mind. I know that. I know that. And, and so I want to kind of take you through these words again as a prayer as I close. And this time I'd ask you to just uh, don't follow along in the Bible or on your phone or however you're doing that, to just put that down and, and listen differently kind of enter into a prayerful, quiet mode as I read this for you. And, and maybe there's a word or phrase that pops off the page as I read this for you to really focus on this passage as God's word for you this morning. <clears throat> so after the death of Moses, the servant of God, God spoke to Joshua. Moses' assistant. And he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Joshua, get going. Cross the Jordan River. Cross whatever's in front of you. Face what you need to face. 
you and all the people. Cross over to the country I'm giving to the people of Israel. I'm giving you every square inch of the land you will set your feet on. Just as I have promised Moses from the wilderness, Lebanon, east to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the Hittite country, and then west to the great sea, this is all yours. All your life, no one will be able to hold out against you. No matter what that enemy is or whatever that giant you're facing. In the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Strength, courage. You're going to lead this people to inherit the land that I promised them to give to their ancestors. Give it everything you have. Life is short. Six weeks left in this decade, right? Give it everything you've got. Your heart and your soul. Make sure you carry out the revelation of Moses' command to you, every bit of it. Don't get off track either left or right so as to make sure you get where you're going. Don't for a minute let the book of Revelation out of your hand. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Day and night. Get hope from it. Making sure you practice things in it. Then you'll get to where you're going. Then you'll succeed. Haven't I commanded you? Strength for whatever you face the health battles that are in front of you, the family struggles, the challenges at work, strength, courage. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged because God, your very own God, he's with you every step you will take. Amen. I want to give you a couple minutes to just stay in this moment. Um, if there was a word or, or phrase even that came from that passage I just read to figure out how to market, write it down, seek God, thank God for it. And, and uh, just to be in this moment for a minute before we close with some worship.